BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello and welcome to 90 Minutes Definitive European Power Rankings, where we talk about the 10 best teams on the continent. Joining myself, Sean Walsh, is 90 Minutes Editorial Creative Lead, Jack Gallagher. Jack, winter week three and they haven't canned us yet. I know. Look at this. I think it's probably because we're doing this off our own backs and all canned <laughs> We can't be tamed. We have no manager. Yeah, we do what we want over here in 19, man. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going well. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying myself. Are you enjoying yourself doing it, Sean? That's I am. I am. And we actually, we've commented this on the back of a busy week. You know, we've actually been to some loads of matches between us. We have. I think, well, so, Sean, run, it, run the, the audience. Uh, through what games you've been to. <laughs> so on Wednesday, to, in my best um, hopes of avoiding a jinx of the Man City-Arsenal match, I went to go watch um, Chelsea versus Brentford. Chelsea, very, very hopeless. Started with 3-5-2 with Conor Gallagher and Raheem Sterling as the strikers. Um, an own goal and Brian and Burma counter-attack completely killed off Chelsea. They did just look really hopeless. Frank Lampard lost his rag a little bit in the pre- post-match press conference. Always fun. And then last night I was at Tottenham 2, Man United 2, which was a real kind of surprise, you know. United went into half-time, two goals to the good. I thought it was going to kind of just walk to victory. It's what I expected. I thought it was going to be 2-0. That was my prediction. Um, but then Spurs pulled one back through Poro and they just really kind of just took this kind of wave of confidence that they just refound from somewhere. And they, they really could have won it as well. Um, I know Bruno Fernandes hit the ball with a good chance himself, but Spurs created enough chances, I think, to actually go on and win the game. Ryan Mason said in his post-match conference he kind of settled for the draw because he thought that we were getting hit in transition a little bit and he was just like, okay, we've spent all we can emotionally. So we'll take the draw. And it was a good point for Spurs, I think. It proves that there's still some fight left in the team. You know, it didn't look like that after getting a thumb six one at Newcastle, which we'll talk about soon. Um, but happy for that as a Spurs fan. But you were also at a game, Jack. You don't usually go to games. I was at a game. Yeah, I was at... Uh... West Ham Liverpool uh, at London Stadium, and yeah, it was it was okay. It wasn't a great game. I think it's um, West Ham seem pretty safe now. They've got about a lot Moisey fighting spirit back, um, mainly because of how good Lucas Paqueta has been. He was brilliant again on Wednesday night. Thought he's just great. Like just he's arrived. Becomes such a great two way midfielder. Works his socks off, and then as everyone knows, he has so much talent on the ball as well. He's really really starting to turn into a player that I think. AC Milan thought they were getting mine when they signed him from Brazil and thought he was the new Kaka. I don't think he's a new Kaka, but any stretch of not saying he's a new Kaka. Don't, don't quote me on that. You heard it here first. No, <laughs> but but he's he's turned out to be a really really good player. Um, yeah, and then Liverpool. I think Liverpool played okay. A uh, lot of lot of tactical changes. I think there's a bit of a work in progress for Liverpool at the minute tactically. I think Klopp's kind of working out what 
his system's going to be for next season. And then they're going to go out and sign a whole pile of players over the summer to try and actually play the system because he had like, they had Jordan Henderson playing as this like transition number eight where like the amount of times he was like having to track back to right back to cover for Trent who was playing inverted winger, inverted fullback, sorry. Um, and then the next minute he would have to be um, on the right of the West Ham penalty box trying to cross the ball. And it was like, okay, you probably need someone with a, a bigger loan capacity to play this than what Jordan Henderson currently has. So yeah, it was, it was interesting that way. So it was, and then uh, more, more football fun this weekend as well. I'm going to see Derry City are playing St. Pat's tonight at the Brandywell. And then they're also playing on Monday night as well. They're playing Shamrock Rovers, um, which will be a really, really good game as well. So two of the they're playing two of the better teams in the league um, in the space of four days, which is what League of Ireland football is all about. Those Friday, Monday <laughs> fixtures are insane. Like, Can you imagine that happened in the Premier League? Imagine Spurs played on uh, Friday and then played on Monday. There'd be... Pandemonium, yeah, it'd be <laughs> awful, yeah, and this just yeah. been a thing in Ireland for so long, so it is. So we're just all getting used to it, yeah. You do get it in the lower leagues, like especially like I think the championship is really good with um, they always schedule the these kind of bank holiday games really well. It's usually for the Easter weekend, but yeah, yeah, that Easter weekend, the football is always really fun for yeah, lower league football. That's the best it's example like, of it, yeah, yeah, it's just nice. You just like, I don't know, I don't know why those those bank holiday weekends you're just kind of pining for football on Monday. Because, like, what else are you doing on the Monday, really? Like, you're working yeah, the next like, day, you're not going Yeah, to... yeah, it's like, oh, I've got this free day, what should I do? Yeah. Oh, I'll put, I'll put on Sky Sports, yeah, I'll do. Check a football, who's on today? Scunthorpe yeah. versus Southampton. <laughs> I'm, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> you twisted my arm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're getting some rankings. Let's do it, let's do it. Okay, so let's quickly go over some of the teams that dropped out. Um, notable one. Barcelona, we didn't expect this. We did a first draft on Wednesday morning, not thinking that Barcelona were going to lose at Raya Vallecano. Yeah. Yeah, and then, lo and behold, <laughs> they lost, they lost to Raya Vallecano. <laughs> yeah, good on them. Fair play to them. I heard Rayo played really, really well. Actually, not yeah, a game I yeah. watched because like, like, we were both at games that night. And also, still see those nine o'clock kickoffs in La Liga. Like, I understand it from the perspective of climate and all. Uh, it's too warm to play earlier or whatever. But also... My God, like that's too late for a football match. Like it's, it's nine like, o'clock here, it's ten yeah. o'clock over there. Like it's, you will be in the stadium after twelve at night. Yeah, I can't do that stuff. I can't do it. Yeah. It's very so, hateful for people like you and I who have to work in football and cover this stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all I can about me. How does this affect yeah. me, the protagonist? Of the <laughs> I only finish at 10 and I yeah. can only stay after I that. Um, I do have a story about this actually. Um, I went to a Spanish Super Cup game in 2014 between Real Madrid and Atletico. Um, the first leg at the Bernabeu. And that kicked off at 11pm local time. Why? Uh, like, what, what, what's the point? I, I, I will say it was the middle of August and it was still sweltering even by the time it finished like 1am. And because the, the culture in Spain is just different, isn't it? Like, yeah, everyone's yeah, up late yeah. like, even, even leaving the stadium people were in bars and stuff um my favorite thing was that the mcdonald's were serving beer which was it just Man. it would not happen here I could, you could not do that yeah no way yeah um, they held the that happened in, <laughs> in Ireland, the uk Oof. a disaster yeah. mcdonald's already yeah. a disaster after night so it's <laughs> it's, 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 it's gasoline to that fire by adding more alcohol right <laughs> Sounds class. Um, stay in Spain. Atletico get bumped off the list because they were beaten by Barcelona on the weekend. They did recover um, in midweek. They won on their anniversary game, but 
we don't get as much of a kid. I kind of liked it. I liked it as like a novelty. Yeah. See, I I like That's I it. like the colors. I thought the colors were quite cool. Uh, but I was so disappointed. They're quite, they pop in your face, don't they? They are, yeah. But I was so disappointed they just did like a, you know, that Nike template, the one that the one with the kind of uh, circle at the top of it that makes everyone kind of yeah, look like the shoulders are cut off or whatever. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, know. I'm just like they do oh, weird. Can do like a special kit gone just like not use a template for it, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, it it kind of, yeah. it annoyed me a wee bit, so that, like, from far away, like, watching the game and stuff, it looked nice on screen, but, uh, mm. uh, yeah, up close, was, wasn't a fan, disappointingly, and, yeah, I think um, now is the time in the podcast where we uh, check in with Mr. Matt Doherty and see that, you know, maybe the reason why Barca <laughs> lost was, uh, no, maybe why they lost to Barca, sorry, was because mm. Matt Doherty didn't play, and guess what, Sean? Matt Doherty didn't play. <laughs> he, he didn't play. He's he's still on uh, twelve minutes of senior football for Atletico Madrid, and will it change soon? Uh, I don't know. I would like That's him to it. get the fifteen. If he can get the fifteen by the end of the season, I'll be I'll be really happy for him. Even just as like a say they're beating someone like four or five nil, and then we'll get some in, in extra time they're just like yeah, well we'll stick on Matt Doherty. Yeah, give him a wee run around. Give him like three minutes. That'd be nice. I'm I'm rooting for you, Matt. I hope you get those three minutes. It's like um, when Gareth Bell went like 25 games without winning at Spurs, and then Harry Redknapp threw him on for the last five minutes of the game. We were five to up in. <laughs> it's exactly like that. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only Matt Doherty's a better player than Gareth Bale. Like, oh, uh, he's on the same career direction, you know. Once he gets those extra three minutes, to take it to 15. He's flying. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Just break the duct. Break the duct, Matt. That's what you yeah. need. Um, another team so, dropping out, Brighton Hove Albion. They were cruelly beaten in their FA Cup semi-final by Manchester United. But we do have a better reason for dropping out because they lost to Nottingham Forest the other night. Yeah. Where did that, that come from? I don't know. And I'll never know because, like we said, we were both at games on Wednesday night. There was just so much football at midweek. So was there was it? too much to keep it up with it all. I, I, I'm pleased. Um, I'm obviously... Brighton-wise, it's disappointing, but I'm kind of secretly pleased for Forrest because um, I would just quite like them to stay up. Uh, I like that they have um, they have a few players that are quite fun. Brennan Johnson, Gibbs White, and people like that. Mm, Steve yeah. Cooper's done a really, really good job there. Uh, I think he's a great manager, and yeah, it would just be nice to keep them in top. So maybe like maybe we should have kept Brighton on just out of like they they might have helped keep Forrest up. That should be like a, that should be <laughs> a, making the... a tick in the box. Yeah, they're making the relegation battle more interesting. Yeah, yeah, good for them, good for them. Uh, and yeah, the, the FA Cup semi-final, I thought they played really well, but mm. um, I don't know if this might be the Aries talking on me, but I, I also don't really think it is. Um, Evan Ferguson, they just missed them so badly. They needed they that quality them, yeah. up top and just did not have it. Yeah, poor Brighton. Bad week for them. Yeah, I'm sure they'll be back. Um, back. Also dropping out, um, Feyenoord, who lost the Europa League quarterfinal against Roma. Um, they they looked they nearly won it late on in normal time, and then Roma pulled them back again. And then in extra time, Roma just completely outlasted, and the quality of the players kind of really showed and just tore them apart. And it was a bridge too far for a plucky young side with a plucky young manager. Um, no shame in it. Probably won't see them again in these rankings this season, but they, they had a good run. Yeah, they had a good run. One week, that'll do. I'll do. They still got I can't, I can't imagine how the other Dutch teams are getting in there. So, 
No, you're kind. You're kind. Not and that's the real quiz. And then lastly, um, Lazio dropout because we talked about this last week, Jack. How all you've got to do to kind of just stay in these rankings is not lose, and then Lazio go and lose to Torino after play, playing so well for so long. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, look, you'll be praised when you win, and you'll be slagged off when you lose. And this is one of those moments where Lazio have lost and lost a game they shouldn't have lost. Torino aren't exactly Man City. Um, so yeah, they drop down and deservedly so. And it's going to be interesting to see if they can get back in now. Um, because they're playing Inter this weekend. And we'll be talking about it later. But um, if they lose the Inter, then Napoli can win the league. And with the way Inter have played the past like week or so, I would fancy it. They're not game, to be honest. Mm. Big week for Inter. We'll talk about them. I'm looking forward mm. to that, actually. Um, let's get... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's get let's get into the top 10, then. So we start with a team that we've talked about pretty much every week since we started doing this, Jack that have been on the cusp the whole time. We've really willed them to be in these rankings because it'll be quite fun to talk about. It's by Leverkusen, managed by Xabi Alonso, who he has really kind of picked up the pieces of their season. He came in at a time where they were really struggling. Um, the the talent they had on their team just wasn't performing to the levels. He is kind of... I think he came from, what was it, the Real Sociedad youth team or the B team? Yeah, yeah, that's where he was. Yes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so he comes into like his first proper kind of senior job. And he's done a really, really good job of it. You know, they're through to the Europa League semi-finals where they will play Jose Mourinho's Roma and that'll be a real test of, you know, they play some nice football. Can they do that the kind of the streetwise stuff to balance it? Can they go against an experienced team and knock them out and get to a European final, which would be a big deal for, you know, a team like Bayer Leverkusen who haven't really had too much in way of that to shout about in a couple of decades. Um, they are six points off the top four in the Bundesliga with five games to go. So not impossible. Um, their next game is against... Um, third place Union Berlin so you know a big win there yeah. you never know just get, keeps them in contention but yeah. it seems like quite an exciting time for them yeah yeah I think fair play to Xabi because I don't think um, to be honest I don't really think many people expected him to be a, a great manager I think he falls under that category of um, Xabi Hernandez as well where it's kind of like okay are you just kind of in these jobs because you're yeah you were like a great player um, yeah almost I, too philosophical isn't it like yeah, yeah. Like, can you actually? Does that actually translate to being a manager? Do you have that kind of intensity and know how about you in that way? Yeah, and I think he's just done a he's done a really good job. They they play like a three four three at the minute, and mm. um, players like there's players at that club who have been like talked about for quite a while and um, <laughs> have always been like expected to be really really great. Like you look at uh, Musa Diaby, he's been really really good this season. Uh, Adam Plusek starting up top. Uh, yeah, he, he's always scoring every time I check their scores. It's like yeah, oh, how's he scored again? Scored the weekend again as well. Scored the opener, and yeah, but I think I think the most interesting one for me, anyways, is um, Jeremy Fringpong playing as a right mid mm. in that three four three and scoring. I think he scored eight. I think we see what well, Messi scored. I think he scored eight goals. Yeah, eight goals and six assists uh, oh, for them this season. He's their second top goal scorer, and he's essentially like a right back, which is mad. And you know, he's a young player, uh, and it shows that like. A, like a manager like Xavi Alonso can cultivate good performances out of these players who have been long touted to be really, really good. And that's mm. a really, really great sign long term for him as a manager because it feels like he can go to a club and cultivate what's already there and make players better. And that's the big key. That was the big ticking point for Conte early on in his 
manage your career and stuff. Mm. It's been mm. that ability to get more out of players. I know he didn't do it at Tottenham, but you know, he had done it before. <laughs> a good six that, that's, yeah, it, 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 it a good run. It didn't get wrong. Um, but yeah, it's just it's that ability to cultivate talent, um, which is going to hold him in really good stead long term. And maybe see him at a bigger job. No offense to Bayer in the very near future. Yeah, that would be like kind of the caveat for Leverkusen in that if a bigger team, a slightly bigger team, because I think Leverkusen are on the kind of maybe like they're like you'd see them as like a regular kind of pot three Champions League team. Yeah. And so if a club like I don't know, like a Dortmund, for example, or a Spurs or a um, a Roma. If they want, if they had a vacancy, um, they would probably go knocking. That's the kind of place that they would go. Even bigger than that, you know, he's it's probably way too way too early for him. But former clubs like Liverpool and Real Madrid, they might need managers in a few years. Yeah. I'm sure that they'll be keeping an eye on what he's doing over there because it, it just quick, just quickly. I want to wrap this up quite quickly. But do you think that there's this weird? Is it a modern trend that? Clubs keep going back to these ex-players, trying to find something, trying to tap into something. Or has it always been like this? I think it's kind of quietly always been like this, but um, I think players have had different... Um, they haven't had the same celebrity as they have now, essentially, where when you have like guys like Frank Lampard, for example, uh, Steve Gerrard, <laughs> and people going in, they yeah. have the baggage of being Frank Lampard and Steve Gerrard and all. When, whereas when you think of... Um, all their managers from like the 90s, early 2000s, and still going today, even um, like Carlo Ancelotti, an amazing footballer in his day, moved on mm. the management and became such a good manager that so many people forget that he was ever um, a player to begin with. Um, and so I think it's always been a thing, but I think the cult of personality around these players now is so much bigger than it was before, where um, it just feels like these people are getting more opportunities than they perhaps were before when, in fact, they're probably not. They're probably getting the same opportunities, but there's just more of a spotlight on them when they get them. And speaking of Chabi Lonzo and one of his old sides, that gives us a nice transition into number nine. Real Madrid, down six places. For some reason, decided to concede four goals to Tati Castellanos in a 4-2 defeat to Girona. Why did they do that, Jack? I, I, I really don't know. I'm not too sure. <laughs> um, uh, you'll have to ask them that question. Um, who knows? Um, but but strange that Castellanos can go out and score four goals against Real Madrid. Um, I think it says a lot more about Real Madrid than it probably does about Tadej Castellanos. No harm <laughs> there. You don't think, you don't think he's a world beater? I'm not sure. Not sure. Um, we'll find out. Hey, you know, if he comes out and scores four goals again this weekend, and then the weekend <laughs> after that, and then the weekend after that too, we'll we'll have a chat about it. We'll have a chat about it. He's only he's only 23, 24, so you know, you never know. It's in the realms of well, possibility. It could happen. Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think it kind of boils down to Real Madrid's rotation and how bad the rotation's been this year. I think they've had a lot mm. of problems with the players coming in, uh, not really performing to the, to the expectations uh, that you would have had a few years ago. Remember that season when Murata was coming off the bench and scored like 20 goals off the bench and stuff yeah, like that there? Yeah. And they don't really have that option anymore. Um and I think the main one for me is probably the issue at in goal where Thibaut Courtois didn't play and Andre Lunen played instead. Got a mm. massive score of 4.7 off FootMob. So I can't say that he played well. You have and to be quite top, bad to get that kind of rating off FootMob, by the way. They're very generous with their do. rating sometimes. Yeah, they're very, so, yeah. usually seven. Seven's, <laughs> yeah. like their, seven's their five. So it is. If, that's yeah. their, if yeah. in doubt, give a seven. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I feel like like in our writings, uh, so we do the player writings on mm. the website, and we all start at like 5 out of 10. Like if you do nothing in the game, you start off at yeah. 5 out of 10, and then you go yeah. up or down. I feel it's like, like an FM rating. Kind of. seven. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 4.7, really, really bad. Um, yeah, they, you know, Roar's Eagle played up front instead of Benzema, and they just don't have... They just don't have a striker option outside of Benzema no. who can do what Benzema can do. And also, like, you know, who does really in the world too in saying that the caveat of that is no one's Benzema. So when you mm. replace Benzema with someone, you do expect the drop off. But how big the drop off been this season has been a wee bit concerning. And they do need to work on the squad. Yeah. And it was, you know, they got away with it last year. They did the double and deserving mm. as well. I think just. I don't want to say like complacency because it's, I think when you have Real Madrid, you have the right to kind of rotate in this kind of way, but maybe it's a matter of there's a lot of old legs in that squad, but there's also simultaneously a lot of players who maybe have come in and haven't played in meaningful minutes in that same way and haven't had longer stretches in their team. I did actually watch Real Madrid at the weekend. They beat um, Celta Vigo 2-0. It was quite kind of a routine victory. And I was, I was particularly impressed by Marco Asensio. Like he was like he was always demanding the ball. He was always doing stuff with it. He was always creating chances. He scored a he scored the opening goal. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, but then it was I was actually kind of disappointed. In guys like Vinicius and Benzema, who just kind of the touches were really off. They just didn't. The heads weren't completely in the game. I did kind of think you know I think we meme it a bit over in the UK and Ireland for you. Um, <laughs> Can, can they really just kind of turn it on and off? Is it really that easy to do for so long for these big stretches? Are they going to just come out against Man City and just be Real Madrid again? Do they need to have a good, a good run? Does it really matter? Yeah, it's really, it's going to be really interesting to see that game and see if form momentum really matters for a club like Real Madrid because it feeds like all the form and all the momentum in the world is with Man City going into that game but also yeah, yeah. like we always say it's Real Madrid you never know I think like a lot of their performances recently have just been uh, not really being interested in the games they're playing they're playing it, from now until last season all their games in La Liga are dead rubbers like they don't need to win any of the games it, like it doesn't matter that much so it doesn't so like it's just kind of keeping fitness levels up and hoping no one gets injured um, in between those games against Man City. And then we'll see if it, they, you know, they, they could come out and be a completely different team or they could come out and be that team that you've seen against Celta and be that team that you've seen against Girona. And it's just, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. They've done it before. Like you've seen, uh, they weren't in particularly great form before they played Chelsea or Liverpool either. And, you know, mm. went out and thumped both teams pretty comfortably. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it'll be it's going to be an interesting tie that one. So it is, and it's coming up very 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 soon, which is fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that's enough Real Madrid for one day. Let's move on. Let's head over to the Premier League, where in eighth place, down three spots, we have Arsenal. Yeah. And we made a big point, Jack, last week that this was this wasn't necessarily Arsenal kind of bustling the lead. It was just you know a little bit of a wobble, a younger team. You know, it it can happen sometimes. We did not expect them to kind of have that Southampton game. And then um, the City game was less of a surprise because of that Southampton game. But I was so shocked by that. You know, um, I have a lot of friends who sport Arsenal. I go to see them sometimes after games. 
Um, I actually have quite a good record this season of going to see them when they haven't won. <laughs> um, I, I agreed to the plans, like just thinking, oh, they're going to smash Southampton. The title's not going to be won last year. I can live with this. And they go into halftime 2-1 down. I leave my house. I go on the underground. I just assume by the time I get it back above ground, it'll be done. Um, that was not the case. Southampton were 3-1 up. I walk halfway down to the Emirates Stadium. Arsenal get one back. The, the fans that are streaming out don't really care. Saka scores the equaliser. All of a sudden, everyone's sprinting to the pubs trying to find a place. But it's too little too late. And the general feeling I got was that is where the title was lost. That was like that was where they knew that they weren't going to get anything at City. They weren't going to get anything at City. It would take a miracle to get anything at City. Um, and lo and behold, they got nothing at City. They got completely outplayed from start to finish, back to front. The quality between the two teams, it didn't even really appear close. And it was a real suggestion that Arsenal are still top. You can't imagine that's going to last for long, though. Yeah, I can't see them staying there. Like they've haven't won their last four games now. I think mm. it is. They're actually in some ways they're very lucky to still be in the power rankings. So they are very lucky. <laughs> I think they're more in it so we can have this conversation as opposed yeah, to being at all yeah. merit at this point. But they're here. They're here. <laughs> they might not be here for long because you know. I think they have Chelsea midweek. So they have they have Chelsea, Chelsea next. Bad. If if they can't beat that Chelsea, then we we need to like open up a kind of dishonorable mentions because. Uh, you can't not beat that Chelsea. That yeah, they're one of the worst teams that. in Europe right yeah. now. <laughs> we should be <laughs> worst worst teams in Europe rankings. That'd be more fun. <laughs> that would be fun. It's <laughs> just slighting everyone. Uh, yeah, so Arsenal, I just, I don't know. I, I think the, the team that they kind of remind me of a bit, um, and it's like in a smaller space of time, is you know that season Liverpool were brilliant. They were amazing. And then Van Dyke got injured and then they were just had a season off and they just about made Champions League football. The yes, the, the pandemic here, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, and then Van Dyke came back and then they were really good again. Yeah, I feel like it's a bit like that as a microcosm of um, how when you're going up against a team like City, um, everything needs to be so perfect in a starting 11. Yeah. Every, every intricate tactic is designed for this group of 11 players and mm. when you pull out any one of those players, it kind of breaks the team. And I feel like that yeah, William Saliba injury has broken that team. Like they don't function anymore. They don't trust Rob Holden on the ball. They don't trust Rob Holden off the ball. They don't trust Rob Holden outside of the box. They don't trust Rob Holden inside the box. <laughs> you know, there's there's a big issue the goal, there. To be fair. I know, but... Yeah, I can't you know. blame him. It was a good finish. It was a good finish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the thing that really killed me was that one of the replays where he's running back to his own half. He's got like a little smirk on his face. He, he winks to someone and I'm just like, it's like, do you remember that clip? Or was it was it Kevin Porter Jr. for the Cleveland Cavaliers against the Philadelphia 76ers? And he <laughs> scores a dunk and he flexes and the commentator goes, who are you flexing on, dude? You're down a thousand points. <laughs> it's exactly like that. It's like, Rob Holding, who are you winking at? You're losing. <laughs> You're down a like thousand goals. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? It's like, you just really, like, you've just kind of lost the goodwill of the Arsenal fans there, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's just... The the drop off there um, between him and Saliba um, has just been too great, and also like I, I do kind of look at the the tactics Arteta's used, and like the fact that he's left it as that as that back four for so many games, I'm kind of a wee bit confused by it. I think there is probably a realm where a Kieran Tierney or something could drop over to right back and do a job, and then put mm. Ben White back in the center. Like I don't see why. 
Like, I know Kieran Tierney is a left-back. I know that. But I also know that Kieran Tierney's a grafter and will work super hard wherever he plays on the park. So, yeah. maybe he's trying him out the right, just giving him a run. And yeah. dropping Ben White on the centre-half probably would have made a difference. He might have won at least one of those games, you would like to think. Um, but they haven't. They haven't won in the last four. Um, they've. I, I, I'll not say they bottled it, but it just feels like... Um, this was the one chance and I don't really see where this chance comes next season. I think it doesn't really feel like it's a season that um, Arsenal are going to have again anytime soon, to be honest. And you're going to have that many. Exactly. Yeah. And you'll need a bigger squad to do that that too. Yeah. And everyone else will get better too. Like surely Mm. Chelsea can't be as bad as they were. Surely Liverpool will be much better. Mm. Um, Not so sure about Spurs, Uh, but then too for (laughs) definite will be better. And then Newcastle are going to be better as well. So, Missed opportunity. Maybe not a bottle, but definitely a missed opportunity for it. Yeah. Just two quick points to wrap up. Um, first is that I think you've managed to extend the William Saliba Van Dyke comparison in a way that I haven't actually seen yet. You know, they were, going, they were giving it a big um, Arsenal Liverpool fans earlier this season about they kind of defend with the same aura style and, you know, is Saliba better than Van Dyke and stuff. I didn't actually think about the kind of effect that Saliba coming out of the team has the way that Van Dyke came out of the team did. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's. it's I, I wouldn't say. Uh, I think the the Saliba. Well, I think in terms of talent right now, they're definitely. You'd, you'd probably rather have Saliba right now than Van Dyke, although Saliba's injured. Mm. Um, but um, in terms of how good uh, Van Dyke was back then, I don't think there's much comparison. Van Dyke yeah. was a much better player than Saliba is now, mm. and that's not to say Saliba won't become that player. Saliba's a lot younger than Van Dyke was at that point. Um, but yeah, just in terms of the tactics of it, where. Um, he is as important to that Arsenal team as Van Dijk was to that Liverpool team. And mm, when you pull yeah. a player out that's that important, it's really, really hard to readjust to this. Yeah, and the other quick, quick points I want to make. Um, you mentioned there you're surprised Latea hasn't changed anything. I was convinced that he was going to pull out a brain galaxy move because surely he must have known that Pep was going to do the same. Surely yeah. he would have known that, you know, I think City played with, it was almost like a 4-4-2 in the end. And come on, come on, Mikel, you know Pep better than anyone, really. Um, yeah, yeah. And then um, the stat going around this week is that uh, if Arsenal don't win the league this year, it will be the longest that anyone has led in the Premier League table without winning it since the 2000s when they start recording that data. Beating Arsenal from 0203 and Arsenal from 0708. So, <laughs> <laughs> the Holy Trinity, oh. if, they can't, if they can't claw it back. Jeez, they were good Arsenal teams too. Those I know, Arsenal yeah. teams were better than the Arsenal team right now. I'm just saying it, putting it out there. Because the the competition in the league was slightly higher, especially in that two thousand seven, that was peak Premier League era. So it was. Yeah, yeah. I think like that Arsenal team they finished third in the end, but I think they had like eighty three points. This Arsenal team did well to finish with eighty three points now. Yeah, back then. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Okay, so that's enough about Arsenal. Let's move on to number seven. Yeah, number seven. Uh, we have a team who, um, you know, uh, there there was definitely. Um, there, there was an argument they have them in last week, but the argument against was how bad they've been in the league. Um, mm. Of course, that's Inter. Finally back in the power rankings. I think they ran earlier in the season uh, because they finally won their first league game since the 5th of March. And that is one of those stats where I've said a lot to people. And then because it's the end of April, I've been like, is that right? Uh, did I read that <laughs> yeah, wrong? Did yeah. I, uh, was it the 5th of April instead? Then every time I've like had that doubt, I've looked it up, and it actually was the fifth of March. They hadn't won a league game since the fifth of March. They finally Jesus. won one, uh, thanks to two goals from 
the big man himself, Romelu Lukaku, against, um, I think it was against Empoli away. Um, and yeah, they, they followed that up then with um, Copa Italia win over Juventus, 1-0 at San Siro. A game which, um, despite um, and Juventus having lost quite a few games recently, uh, the standout one being the one at the weekend um, to Napoli in Turin. Um mm. You have kind of had the beating of Inter this year. Um, they've beat them a few times. They beat them at San Siro not that long ago, so they didn't as well. Um, beat them 1-0, and it felt like, you know, that was like a season-defining game for Inter, and they stepped up to the plate in that big moment. Um, they won that game, and they look very likely now. They won the Copa Italia. They, they're playing... Um, I think it's I think I think it's Fiorentina they're playing in the final, isn't it? Um they're, yeah, they're playing Fiorentina in the final. Uh exactly. they beat exactly. Kremen and Cecilia. Um they drew 0-0 last night and then they won the first leg, I think 2-0. Um you would fancy them against Fiorentina. Uh you would fancy them to go on the one that and get getting that momentum from the Copa Italia can really help them in the Champions League, like we were talking about it with mm. Real Madrid. Mm. Uh does momentum matter? I think for a team like Inter, it does. So it does, and yeah, could could be could be a, a big jumping off point for them. They go and potentially make a Champions League final this year. Yeah, um, we talked. To, we'll talk about Milan a bit later, but and because I think in the, in the last couple of weeks we've talked a lot about how they they show real kind of nows in their Champions League quarterfinals. Napoli, the thing that we always get pushback um, from um, some of the Italian guys in the office is that Simone and Zaghi, really really good cup manager. Mm-hmm. Really, kind of has that yep. string to his bow as a manager. You know, I think even in the Champions League last year, um, they went out to Liverpool. They lost two 0 at San Siro, but they won one 0 at Anfield, and they really, really could have easily got another in that game as well. So they're no slouches. I know they're kind of a, the easier draw against Benfica, but they still have to get through it. Benfica really battled back in that second leg. They weren't, yeah. Like, and I also didn't fancy them going to that game too. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I just thought it was, stuff. yeah. And, Benfica were flying at that point. The, I think I think some of it was they played Benfica on the exact week that they needed to play Benfica in that first mm-hmm. leg. I think they just lost to Porto that weekend. Yes, and then came yeah, up against right, Inter yeah. with a wee bit of their wind out their sails. And yeah, look, Inter have so much talent in that team. Um, when a player like Nico Barella in particular plays as well as he has been um, in those cup games over the past like month or so, they're a match for anyone. He, the assist he gave for the goal, uh, DeMarco's goal against Juve was sublime yeah. and scored crucial goals against Benfica as well. And I feel like um, both Demons and Milan both have game-breaking players in their teams and then like a lot of solidity and good coaches. And it just depends on what game-breaking player will actually win the game for them in those Champions League semifinals. Do you think they're going to do it though? I really don't know. It's going to be such a close game. It, it's, uh, I think the smart money is obviously on Milan, AC Milan. I think that's the smart money just because of um, how how much confidence a two-legged one over Napoli can breed into the team. And also, I think like Mike Magnon is just... It doesn't seem like anyone will ever score a goal against them again. What's, what's the roadmap uh, for Inter to win that tie then? Barella. I think it's the 
the big the big one. Um Lukaku's coming on to a bit of form again now, finally. Um he's gonna be key. Um Lataro's key as well. I think the, the main roadmap is the midfield battle. I think whoever wants a midfield battle is gonna win that game. The reason why AC Milan have been able to beat Napoli and beat Spurs as well in the Champions League is because of the amount of work that Benacer and Tenali get through in the middle of the park and just completely overrun teams. Um it's going to be interesting to see if they can do that against Inter. Inter have a lot of talent in there. Um, Brozovic is so, so, so good. Uh, Barella is fantastic. And then on his day, uh, Chahanoglu is very, very good as well. They need him to be on his oh, day. Oh, the extra spice for I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess he, scored, he scored against Chihonola. them last season, so he did, and he gave it stack <laughs> silver, and it was so funny. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it's going to – I think it'll depend on the midfield battle and those, like – Game breaking players Milan have where they have Liao can win you a game, Mike Magnon can win you a game, and mm. then for Inter it's going to be Lukaku or Barela or maybe Lataro that can win you that game. It's going to be a close okay. one. Yeah, looking forward to it. Okay, moving on to number six, we have a re-entry, Jack. We're staying in Italy for this one. Yeah, and it's it's actually really interesting. I think this is. Um... Is this the first week they've been in it since we've been doing the podcast? I, I think, think so, yeah. We're, we're, the only time we've, I think we've talked about them is getting their arse handed to them by Milan. So, Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, thankfully for them, it's, um, they didn't get their arse handed to them at the weekend. Um, mm. They won the game that's probably going to define the season. And I think they scored the goal that's probably going to be the most replayed goal of the season uh, in yeah. Naples. Um, Napoli beat Juventus 1-0. Scored a 93rd minute winner, Giacomo Raspadori, a player who was gunning the San Juventus, it seemed like, over the past couple of years. Every at every opportunity, he was like, I'm a Juventus fan a lot of times. And wait, he said that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. He, didn't, he, didn't, he was angry for, as our, our Italian editor, uh, Alessandro, always jokes that Juventus just get Serie A players on two year loans with cheap options. And he was just, yeah, yeah. He was priming for one of those moves. He was like, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> and he was coming from uh, Sassolo as well, which is like yeah. absolute prime two-year loan <laughs> obligation to buy football club. <laughs> club yeah. Italian, everyone came from there. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, it was interesting that he came off the bench and scored that goal because I remember looking at the Juventus team uh, near the start of the season and he was playing really, really well at the start of the season as the deputy to Osman. And it's something that Juventus don't have on their books. And I think they need on their books is that kind of dynamic quick forward who has a real eye for goal he's a bit like um i compare him to like a, a rossi remember rossi when he was at Villarreal yeah. and stuff he's yeah, that yeah. sort of elka player so he is um that kind of really deadly in front of goal but also kind of small so you don't really expect it that much mm. um so yeah they relied on him to score the goal uh they were good value for the one i thought like Juventus played quite well um, they had two disallowed goals. I think both were deservedly disallowed. There was a lot of talk of the uh, first goal, Di Maria scored not being disallowed, but it, like he was fou- there was a foul in the build-up and it was deservedly disallowed. And now they can go on to this weekend and if Lazio get beat by Inter and Napoli beat Salernitana, which he would fully expect to in front of like a crazy uh uh, not Neapol and crowd at the Diego Mando Maradona Stadium. Um, the they could win the league already in the start of May, which is an incredible achievement. I think it's an achievement that um, 
maybe the past few weeks, I felt like it's um, the Champions League opportunity, the missed opportunity Champions League, has mm. uh, in some way outside looking in, uh, sullied this season for them in a lot of ways. But when they left that title, it all mean so, so, so much. First time they have done it since 1990. Mm. It'll be, what, the third time they've done it ever. Um, it'll be such an incredible achievement and a long time coming as well. They've come close so many times before. And for this group of players to do it would be remarkable. So it would and well deserved. They've been by far the best team in Italy this season. Yeah. And I think as well, just the importance of maybe for kind of the Napoli fans kind of like to cleanse their soul that they got this 93rd minute win at Juventus, this place which was has been so long, this kind of unhappy hunting ground. They beat was it five one earlier in the season? Mm-hmm. Five one, I like, think it was January. They beat them. Yeah, yeah. yeah just the, the video of Spalletti going to shake Allegri's hand and him just walking away. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, it feels like it's a real kind of. I I don't know any, anyone from Naples. I don't know any Napoli fans, but I my assumption is that they they will not care as much about the Champions League failures, maybe because they don't have as much of a history of going closer to it. This is the furthest yeah. they've ever gone. The big one for them is winning back the title initially like when Liverpool won the Champions League it was like they've won lots of Champions Leagues they had Istanbul that was probably one of the best finals ever they, it's, it's, not, it's not new to them the Premier League is the one that they wanted and they finally got that and that felt like the real kind of everything was worth it to this point and I feel like that's mm-hmm. going to be the feeling around Naples when they have these summer long parties and it's going to be it's just a, <laughs> a completely mental city for one or two months yeah did you see the video of um Everyone on the scooters and motorbikes. Uh, yes, behind. very good. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. that's great. And uh, that's just that's the buzz right there. Now, yeah, I remember there was there was a similar buzz. The um, so you meant this of uh, kind of new year, new credit scores. Chime makes it easier to build credit by using your own money to make on-time payments with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. Use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a qualifying direct deposit. There's no annual fee or credit check required when applying. Get started at Chime.com slash build. That's Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. Taken the Serie A title from Napoli's uh, clutches quite a few times over the past yes, few years. Yeah, exactly. There yeah. was one year in particular that uh, Napoli actually beat Juventus. It's Koulibaly header, wasn't it? The Koulibaly header one. And the celebrations in Naples after that were incredible. Mm-hmm. And then they went out and got beat by Fiorentina that weekend. <laughs> I think Koulibaly, I think he got I think he got sent off in that game, the the game immediately after it. And then yeah. Higuain scored a head against Inter and Juventus went and got it. But this time if he's like... Um, they could actually fully enjoy the mm. wonder of Juventus because it's put them in a position where they will definitely win the league. Whereas before mm. it was like, we've got, took a step towards maybe winning the league. It was a uh, chance. So, now it's a, almost a certainty. Yeah. Yeah. This has made it almost a certainty. And yeah, I'm sure that was extremely enjoyable for uh, Neapolitans over the weekend and will be again this weekend because mm. I can see, I can see Inter beating Lazio this weekend. Um, yeah. There's a lot of history there uh, with uh, Lazio beating Inter in a in a dead rubber game for Lazio at the end of the season in 2002. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, yeah, when they cost Inter the league. Um, <laughs> so there's a wee bit of there's a wee bit of bad blood there as well, and I'm sure Inter fans will be gunning for uh, Inter to beat Lazio that day just to get a wee mm. bit of revenge. 
Okay, moving on to number five, back to England. A re-entry, a team that we were worried about after they were beaten by Aston Villa 3-0 quite comprehensively. It was a They did not turn up for that game. They didn't deserve to win. They deserved to have nothing. But two emphatic performances since. It's Newcastle United who beat my beloved Tottenham Hotspur 6-1 on Sunday. Um didn't watch that game. I was at the London Marathon supporting a friend. So you don't ride. You don't ride. I do go. Yeah. I just checking my phone every few minutes, and another two goals are going. And I'm just like, is my phone glitching? <laughs> are they sending the emergency alert early? I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> a bit like that. So, but w- watching it back, you know, I think you Newcastle good value for their goals. Obviously, you know, Spurs kind of gift wrapped them to them, but you, you have to take the chances. I think one of the things this season has been that maybe Newcastle don't get enough goals. And, and they kind of rely on their really good defensive record at times. They've really turned it on in these last couple of games. Um, having both Isak and Wilson fit, them playing more together off each other. Um, Jacob Murphy's coming to some goals. Joel Linton mm-hmm. seems like he's scoring every single week now as well. It feels like um, Newcastle just kind of took that Villa beating and was like, okay, we're just we're so close to getting back to the Champions League. Let's not let's not ruin this now. And I think that I think it's done. I think that they have kind of third place locked up. I think they got probably the kindest schedule of the teams in that mix, and I expect them to get it over the line. And one of the things I want to talk about is Isak in particular, because when he signed, it was he he didn't have like an amazing record at Sociedad last season. I think he only was in single figures of goals. He was linked with the move to Arsenal in January 2022. That didn't happen. And when he signed for Newcastle, it was a bit of, oh, if, is he that good? Is he worth it? You know, how, they've got Wilson. Does he really fit in? And he struggled with fitness in the first half of the season. But since start of March, really, he's been one of the best players in the league. He's been superb. And have you seen his assist for um, Newcastle's fourth last night? Have you not? Ridiculous. I've seen it. I watched it. It's, it's unbelievable. unbelievable. It's like, like I, remember seeing, I remember seeing like a still or still of when he has the ball and people saying, oh, this is assist of the season. I thought, I thought what he was going to do was the outside of the foot pass, like Willock did for him. Oh, at the yeah, yeah. And I was going to, my first thought was like, Willock just did that for him. Are you sure it's not that? And then I watched the video, and it's him dancing past three or four Everton defenders. And it's like, you're six for four. How do you do this? How have Sweden just got an Ibrahimovic region like that? I know. How's that happen? Also, it's, it's unbelievable. Just, like, I, I get where you're, I, I understand the apprehension about him. Yeah. At the start of the season, when he signed for Newcastle, because like, and no offense to Newcastle, they're they're in a, they're going to be in a much different position this summer, obviously. But when you're linked to the top top clubs in Europe, and then you end up going to Newcastle the year after, it kind of feels like okay, well, you know, if he was that good, like a top top European club would have signed him. But if he's like, first. yeah, yeah, yeah. But if he's like, they've actually just missed out on him and missed out. In, God, he's right up there in terms of um, this season, players this season. I know he's not played a whole lot of games, but in terms of um, being one of the most decisive players in the league this season, I think he's right up there because they did have that lull, like you were saying. They were kind of struggling to score goals, and then he Mm. came back in, and then Callum Wilson also came back in quite luckily at around the same time. And they've just gone from strength to strength. and They've put themselves in a really good position where, they're definably the third best team in the league this season. I don't think there's any question yeah. about that. Yeah, I agree. Um, and they're going into the summer as the third best team in the uh, most, the richest 
league in the world and they are the richest club in this league. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're going to go out and sign some serious talent. Yes, this summer, yeah. they are. It's going to be really impressive. I'm quite interested to see what kind of positions they get because I, rem- I remember um, when Leicester, you know, when they were in consistent Champions League contention and they, they probably should have wrapped up in one, at least one of those years, like what, what could be the highest profile player that Leicester could sign? And I think at the time it was like a player of like Coutinho when he was still pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just kind of the feeling that is this sustainable? You feel with Newcastle, this is definitely sustainable because of the riches that they have. And yeah. one of the things I just want to quickly touch on before we move on, this is a hot take based in nothing but the other team's um, failings in Europe. We don't really have something to judge Newcastle on. My hot take is that Newcastle will go further in the Champions League next season than Arsenal. That is a hard take, but you know what? I do. Basically, nothing. No, I get, I get the, I get. I know there's no. I know you based it on that. There's no thought (laughs) to saying it, but St James's Park in a Champions League game, a European night. Oh my god, it'd be insane. It's crazy, and like a Sunday, a normal Sunday. Never mind a Wednesday night against imagine Edmonds playing like Barcelona or something. Yeah. In St. James's Park, like you would get it, you would obviously Barcelona um, are a de facto better team, but at St. James's Park on a Wednesday night, I would probably back Newcastle just for mm. the atmosphere alone. Like all the players will be up for it, and it's that atmosphere has made so many local players, I think, be so much better this season. Like players yeah. like Jacob Murphy, um, who's been outstanding this season, and I think a lot of that has been feeding off the crowd and the good mm. atmosphere and vibes around the club whereas like if you put him in a team say if you put him in Southampton he's probably not playing that well so he's not <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah yeah that, that crowd so I, I kind of I, I, I see I see the the logic behind that and when you look at um, projections for both clubs um, despite Arsenal having like a lot of young players and stuff it feels like they're going to struggle a lot more with Champions League football than Newcastle are the European record on the Rotor is not that good. Yeah, it's not like they were purring the Europa League this season and stuff. So mm. they were, and I know they weren't focusing on it, but also, you know, a bit of momentum drops out. They like wanted we to win earlier. that sporting tie. They should have thrown 100%. it, really, but they, but they should yeah. have. They were trying to win that sporting tie and couldn't kill it. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like um, Newcastle, because of how much money they have and how much they're going to invest in their squad over the summer, um, will probably have the strength and depth to kind of combat yeah. both to a certain extent. Not yeah. to say they're going to go and win both, but yeah. they I could very easily see them finishing top three again next season and making the quarterfinals of the Champions League next season. Like that's a very that's a great season for them and a very feasible, imaginable season for them too. I think that maybe the caveat to this is I imagine Newcastle will be in pot four because they have no recent European history. Arsenal probably be yeah. in pot three because the coefficient just isn't that kind to them, I think. But there'll be definitely teams where it's like the pot two or pot one teams like don't want to bump into them. Yeah, that's a don't group them. death vibes. Yeah, to get yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Imagine like if, like, say Real Madrid been the Champions League and they see their first team in pot four, Newcastle. It's like, god damn it! <laughs> and he'd be raising. You would actually be raising. You'd get <laughs> like, like, what? What the hell is this? <laughs> it's like, just give me Victoria Pilsner again. I just want yeah. Victoria Pilsner. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to number four. So, number four, Sean, up three this week is, and deservedly so, and ahead of Newcastle, deservedly so too, because they beat them recently, um, mm. is Aston Villa. And yeah, they've been amazing recently, as advertised and as talked about thoroughly. Um, beat Fulham 1-0 um, recently, and 
the scoreline didn't do them justice. Like a one 0 one over Fulham sounds a bit like uh, you know, you'd expect them to beat them, but they couldn't have beat them by that much. They completely dominated them. They restricted Fulham, they just one shot and goal. Yeah, all game. I couldn't believe that when I saw it. it was like Fulman, how many shots? What? Yeah, one one off target shot and that was it. Yeah. The whole game. And like Fulham aren't a bad football team. Like Fulham, yeah, Fulham are quite are a good team. I know they haven't yeah, got Mitrovic, but yeah, they've beaten quite a lot of good teams this year, so that, that could have been a tricky game for Villa, but they just cruised through it. Um, I think the main talking point from it is probably um, player like Tyrone Mings scoring the winner, and players that come really coming into their own under in Amory. Um, recently, there's a lot of players that he's been he's managed to revitalize um, in recent weeks and recent months, and. Yeah, it just shows, like, um, I think you briefly mentioned it earlier about um, Spurs, there being a bit of fight left and some of the players and stuff, and, like, it, it's not all's not lost with with a lot of those players. Some of those players all is lost. I have a caveat with that. Some of those players are no hopers. But there's some that aren't. Uh, at Villa, you have, like, a similar thing where um, when Gerard left, there's a lot of players at that club you are kind of like, ah, oh, well, you know, Liam Bailey, not great. Um, John McGinn kind of not playing well mm. uh, Tyrell Mings like ostracized from the team and stuff like that and then you come up six months later and there's some of the better players in the Premier League performing at uh, some of the highest levels in the Premier League um, recently so it just shows you like how, how important good coaching is and um, get breeding confidence in players above everything else um, I think uh, one of the main talking points um, as well and I'm going to I'm going to throw this to you Shawnee boy um <laughs> Is they're up the fifth in the league, and I think I they're what? Are oh, they down to sixth now? So they're what? Draw last night, baby. Oh, look at these go! Look at these go! Um, so he's what? I think they're they must be what six points off United now, maybe. Um, do yeah, you think like it's feasible for Villa to make the Champions League or happy enough for Europa League? What do you think? I think that they've played like the games in hand that Man United have over them will be a reason. But you know, Villa have got Man United this weekend, so. If they go and yeah. win that, maybe it's a different conversation. Um, the, the, I think the caveat to all the Villa talk also is I did go and see them at the weekend. They drew 1-1 at Brentford. Mm-hmm. And I think that the Villa were quite fortunate that Brentford didn't kill that game when they should have. Now, so for 80 minutes, Brentford had them pinned in. Brentford were making chances left, right, centre. Um, they even missed an open goal when it was 0-0. Um, Villa, missed, Villa did miss Emmy Martinez in the second half. He went off with an injury. And Robin Olsen is a calamitous goalkeeper, I think. The football world has known this for a few years, and he just keeps mm-hmm. somehow getting into teams. So I don't know, I don't know what the deal is there. But um, Villa at least just managed to hang on in the game, and it got to the last five minutes, and they threw everyone forward, and they pinned Brentford into their box for like a ninety-second stretch, and in that stretch they scored a goal, and that was just about just hanging there, and something should turn up. So I think that was that's probably like one of the more impressive results. I think because. Brentford should have had that game one, two or three times over. Yeah, and when you're not losing games, you should lose. It's a really good sign for a team and a good sign mm. for a team's mentality, so it is. And yeah, just uh, just looking at their games, they have run-ins. They have United this weekend. They have the Whitey Wolves. Then they're going to welcome Spurs in the 13th of May. Then they have Liverpool. And then they have Brighton. So they do have quite a hard run-in. They're playing a lot of the teams in and around them. In the yeah, a lot. Uh, that's the thing. Like A lot of these teams that are in the, kind of the third to... Um, seven, eight range. They're all playing each other in these last few yeah. weeks. They're going to be fun games. They're going to be interesting because yeah. I feel like um, form and uh, a lot of those teams have been kind of up and down. So they have like 
uh, Spurs, for example, go and get beat 6-1 at the weekend and then pull out a confirmation 2-2 draw with United mm. a couple of days later. And uh, Brighton have up and downs as well, or Paul Sandy have up and downs and stuff. So I think it's just all about kind of catching these teams on the right day. Like you could catch Spurs and beat them 4-0 someday, but on our day, Spurs can catch you in BG2 yeah. now. And you just you really don't know what... Spurs team or what United team or what Liverpool team is going to show up. It could be a great team or it could be terrible. Yeah, and this know. is why this is why you're in a top four battle and not more of a title battle. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. so it happens. Just quickly on that, I do want to say that this does happen every season, and people going about, oh, it's the worst top four race, blah blah blah. This is just the nature of if you're if you're expected to win like every week. Like I remember doing this when I, it wasn't like primary school. I remember I had like a whiteboard, and this is when like Spurs were like you like sixth seventh range and i went through like all the fixtures in a season and what did i expect to win you expect i expect oh we're home we'll win that 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 we're away oh if we are on a day we can get win there 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 and it comes i told the tally and it was like somewhere between like 75 and 80 points i was like that's a bit steep you know actually um because that's what i mean you you expect the best version of your team like when you predict the start of a season you expect the best you don't foresee the blips or the injuries you you go with the kind of what's the upside and yeah. then every year there's always teams like this i think the pandemic was probably like the worst for this in that the united came third with solskjaer even though for like half a season they were hopeless and then fernandez came along and changed everything <laughs> and chelsea came fourth with lampard despite having the transfer ban and hazard left yeah that's probably quite bad then but i think about like in general this is just the nature of these top four battles. And I think we're quite fortunate now. It's quite exciting that there's a lot of these big games still to come. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really fun. And like you said, like, you know, uh, I think Valor are a prime example of a team that how much a team can change over the course of a season. Yes, you, exactly. Yeah. Like I was looking through um, our Premier League predictions there um, from the start of the season. Mm. They're pretty grim reading, as you can imagine. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much all of us had Spurs third because of Conte. And how that's why, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I mean. Like, it, yeah, that's why I hang so much the blame on Conte. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> someday, someday we'll we'll chat about them in a good light. But today's yeah. not that day. Not, not today. Today's not that day. Instead, we'll move on to number three: a re-entry, a team. All of a sudden, Jack, this team might win their league out of nowhere. Yeah, it's so it's Borussia Dortmund are back in. Um, and yeah, they, they should win it. I, I think there's a lot of seasons in which Dortmund should win the league and don't, but it feels like um, they're not up against the kind of machine of a Bayern Munich mm. team that um, they have been in previous seasons. Um, they have been the the most consistent team in the league since January, so they have um, in the upper reaches of Bundesliga. And they've just started capitalising on Bayern's complete and alter capitulation on every single front imaginable. Um, so at the weekend, I think the weekend one was probably one of the more impressive ones they've had recently because I know there's yeah. there's been a few other occasions where um, we've kind of briefly mentioned uh, Dortmund and they've been unable to capitalize on some Bayern results. I think there was a week where um, Bayern drew uh, a terrible yeah. game and then Dortmund went out and they drew 3-3 three, three or something like that. It's been there. the story of the last 10 years, really. It has. It's not been able to capitalize it, but um, I think last weekend, um, Bayern could be 3 1 by Mainz. Um, yeah. And, and Dortmund played in the to... kickoff late that day as well. Yeah. Like, so the pressure's on. Like, with, okay, with the pressure on. Just, and... just win, and we're into first place with five games to go. And then they went out and won 4 0. Um, yeah. And, you know, 
there's been a lot of players who have been really important for that, Bellingham, obviously. Um, probably the best midfielder in that league right now, uh, form-wise. Um, he scored. And also, um, a bit of a random hero for them. And I think they've had this before. I remember, um, uh, I think it was the maybe the second season they won it um, way back when, uh, when they had... Um, so they won it with Nuri Shaheen was their best player one year. And then I think the year after... Uh, Ivan Perisic went in this mental run near the end of the season, scored some great goals. <laughs> yeah, I remember. He ended yeah, up yeah. winning it, and it was kind of like ball from the blue. Like you don't really expect Perisic to be that guy. In hindsight, make makes sense because of the career he's had. But back then, it was like, oh well, Perisic, but random. He, he, came, um, he came from like Bruges or something, didn't he? It was like really kind of yeah, yeah. kind of signing. And then ended up being as good as he's been. Um, mm. Well, not talk about his recent performances, anyway. <laughs> but a player like that who's kind of really up their game at a really important time in the season has been uh Donia Malin. Um yeah. he scored four goals and got an assist in the last three games and really just when Dortmund have needed a guy they really step up and make a difference while there is the opportunity to capitalize on Bayern not playing well. He's been the guy that's done it and mm. full credit to him. Uh, I know he was highly rated in Eredivisie um went to Bundesliga last season was one of those Okay, it felt like one of those typical Dortmund signings of where they sign a guy who seems quite good, attacker, um, and then he'll come in and score maybe five, ten goals in a season. Whereas this year, it feels like he's finally finding some form that Dortmund were perhaps hoping he could find uh, when they signed him last summer. And yeah, I, I, on a on a not on a personal level, I do hope they won the league. I think they deserve yeah. to win the league. They play great football. They play great football for a long time. It feels a wee bit uncomfortable at them. Bayern have so thoroughly dominated that league and I think it's hurt the league in general from outside looking in for people who don't watch the mm, league and see mm. Dortmund haven't won it for like a decade it looks like every other team in the league is terrible but in that decade Dortmund have a lot of good players and have played really great football and been really enjoyable to watch that whole time they've just been up against a behemoth of a football club whereas now it feels like they can actually win it and uh, get their just desserts for being so good for so long, essentially. Yeah, the Bundesliga needs Dortmund to win it, I think. And I think that if they if they do go on and win it, that um, all they need is five wins from five games, and you would expect them to do it. Um, but I think the, the story of the season will be that these players who have kind of like they've you've mentioned Marlon there, but it's been like that the whole season. These players that have stepped up during these little periods and take shoulder the responsibility. Do you know who their top scorer in the Bundesliga is this year? Got eight goals. Oh, jeez, oh, eight goals. Is it someone mental like Guerrero or something like that? <laughs> Not quite as mental, but probably in the same mental. kind of ballpark. Is it? It's Julian Brandt. Is it? Okay. Yeah. But wow. there's a lot of players who like, so it's Brandt on eight, and I think it's Makoko. I think it might be Bellingham on seven, but there's loads of like eight, seven, 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 six, six, five, five, five. So they're, sp- they're spreading the goals around, and that's kind of been the story of it the whole year. I like teams like that. I, I mm. remember um, Juve when they won the league under Conte the first time. They didn't have a goal, yeah, goal yeah, scorer. Yeah. And yeah, I think their top goal scorer that year was maybe 10 league goals, but they just got a lot of goals from midfield in a lot of different places in the team. And it's kind of someone someone always stepped up at the right time. And if he's like um, at Dortmund, it, players, uh, it might be a different player every time, but someone will step up when it's needed. Yeah, and I think it, to, just to wrap this up, in that 
Sebastian Haller has been in quite good form since he returned um, after having treatment for cancer. And that's, that'll be a really, really nice story as well. So Yeah, it would. Yeah, yeah. What I'm a really great player cool. as well yeah. in general. Yeah. Just a brilliant footballer. Great to see he's back and yeah. great to see his back in form and playing at the top level again because mm. that's what his talents deserve. What a story I'd be for him, honestly. Like he comes to Dortmund, it emerges like a week after his medical. He has that tumour and he, has, he spends half the season out. You know, the whole football world is praying for him. He comes back and he can help fire them to the Bundesliga title. What a story that would be. Yeah. I hope he scores a really important goal. Yeah. Uh, in the last couple of games. So mm. it would be, so, be so amazing. So it And yeah, like I said, like, um, deserve for how good he is and the work he put on to come back and be as good as he's been recently as well. It must have been incredibly difficult to do that. So full credit to yeah. him. And yeah, we're, we're at Power Rankings HQ. We are written for Dortmund. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, moving on to number two, Jack. Who have we got? So, back over to Italy, back on the peninsula. Uh, staying at number two from last week, uh, we have AC Milan again. Um, you know, we've talked at length about how good they've been in the Champions League. Um, I think a lot of that has come from the fact that they've started to find some form in Serie A as well at a good time in the season. Uh, they scored two at uh, Rafael scored two again at the weekend they won at San Siro again um, first goal was a header simple as you like and then the second goal was if you can imagine a Rafael goal and if you can like guess what sort of goal it was yeah. it was exactly that goal he got the ball to halfway line stormed the half of the pitch got into the box drilled it um, bottom right corner goal 2-0 and yeah they've just They've just been really consistent and really good and really um it doesn't feel like they're gonna slip up at any point anymore. Whereas I think like a few months ago it felt like they could go to Alecce and get beat and they can go to a Salar Natana and get beat. Whereas now uh, they're just comfortably cruising through these games and that's exactly the sort of um tempo of games that they want to be playing and uh tempo of games they want to be winning too and um, I think the, the main story for AC Milan this year, I think, will be the fact that they've been able to go out and do so well in the Champions League. And I don't think they're going to win it by any stretch, but even just getting the semifinals are a remarkable achievement and feels like it's going to be enough to keep their best players and feels like it's going to be enough to keep Rafa Leal, who there's a project there's here. Of, exactly. And it feels like um, there's been plenty of reports over the past week or so that, whereas in January, um, it seemed like for certain that Rafael was going to leave at some point, be it yeah. in January or in the summer. Um, it looks like he's going to sign a new deal at the club now, and it looks like there's there's a repath for them and they not just be in the semi-final this year, but they'd be in the latter uh, stages of it next year as well and the year after mm. that too. Because one thing that they've done incredibly well over the past few seasons has been going out and signing uh, the right type of player for the system and for not that expensive. I think the ones that really, really stand out are Tenali was a sign-in, Benacer was a sign-in, mm. Tamori was a sign-in. Uh, players like that have just made a huge difference. And then also, like, going out and signing Olivier Giroud, like, not the most glamorous sign-in in the world, but has come in and done a fantastic job. And it's just, they've they've been really, really good at exploiting market opportunities. And I think with Maldini in there and uh, having the, the eye for talent that he has, I think that's going to continue. So it is. So it's going to be exciting to see who they sign in the summer. And I'm sure it's going to be a lot of people who might not be, you know, they're not going to go out and sign Victor Osman or anyone like that um, with that name name value. But 
Um, whoever they go out and sign, I think AC Milan fans can have a bit of trust that they're actually going to be really good, regardless yeah. of who they are or where they come from. Well, do you think it's ironic that probably one of the kind of, in terms of the money spent, the bigger signings, and that Charles de Kessler hasn't really kicked on yet? The way yeah, that he, the, other, the younger would, players who've put signs for a bit less were. Yeah, you you would you would half forget that he's even there. Really, mm. I think they've they've um, they've gotten uh, a wee bit lucky that some of the the players have been able to jump in, and they haven't really noticed that the Kelter hasn't been very very good because Brahim Diaz, for example. Um, has been great and has suited their system and suited their system a lot better than Dick Elter. Um He's a player that I think will be a project long term. Um, I think we've seen it with Tanali as well when he signed. There was big expectations immediately um, and he wasn't fantastic for the first while and then at some point last season it all started sort of clicking and he's ended up being like top three midfielders in Serie A right now. And you know, I, I think I think the Kelter is a player that, while it's not worked out yet, I think there could still be a quiet hope that at some point it'll just click and he'll yeah. be great yeah. because you can trust that they're scouting and uh, picking out the right players designed for the club. Yeah, and they got a big game this weekend. They're away at Roma. They're mm-hmm. ahead of them in the table. Only just the share the same amount of points. Um, two points clear of Inter in sixth. Four clear of Atalanta in seventh. Three behind Juventus in third. Be a big one. Yeah, it's a big game, that one. It's going to be a really interesting... Um, I know they're not playing under, obviously, but it's going to feel like a bit like a dress rehearsal for the Champions League semifinals because of the atmosphere and yeah. the calibre of manager and the, the style of football that Mourinho will try to play in that game. It's going to be like a wee bit of a dress rehearsal to see if how those Milan players can cope with that level of game again um i think um between inter and milan i think uh there's more experience in the milan team perhaps of those big games um just because of how gigantic those two napoli games were and they come out of those two games pretty much unscathed was extremely impressive so um i would back them against roma but i think roma and they're probably going to mention it anyway um have played really well recently and have players back at full fitness and got a bit of it's got a bit of oomph about them again uh, for the first time this season. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to number one. It has to be Manchester City. Yeah. The favourites to win the Premier League. The current favourites to win the Champions League, barring Real Madrid doing their nonsense. They finally turned it on. Um, for, you know, for the first half of the season, it looked like they were experimenting a little bit. You know, Pep was maybe not throwing in a lot of his key players. You know, Ruben Diaz didn't play for a long time. I think Rico Lewis, as good a prospect as he is, was playing probably too much for a team that wanted to win the league and was playing catch-up to Arsenal. Um, but Pep has now set it on this kind of three-at-the-back system with, you know, four in midfield. And Haaland, I think, to his credit, you know, I think there was a lot of there was a lot of talk about, you know, the City, City more exciting without Haaland. Is it easier to play without him because he could be more fluid? In the last few weeks, particularly in this Arsenal game on Wednesday, which they won 4-1, it looked like he's finally kind of adding this, this other stuff to his game. He, he has such a good relationship with Kevin De Bruyne. And the, it looks like, if we say, like I said, I said this in the last few weeks, it's, it feels like we say this every April, May time when City just make these big finishes to win the title. It does feel like City are at the kind of real peak. Like, what are the weaknesses in this team? They, they 
the weaknesses before were they couldn't really defend in transition and they'd have these weird games where they just wouldn't be able to score. They don't have that anymore. I have a big question for you. Um, and I was thinking about it the other day. Um, is this the best Man City team ever? <sighs> Can you ask me in a month? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Last year in a month. Uh, because... I think I I think if they do the treble, it's un- I think it's undeniable. Mm-hmm. I think it is the team that got over the hump and have this freak up front who can score 100 million goals. I th- in terms of like just my favorite city team to watch, I think the 17 18 team, the one that got 100 points with, you know, they had Sterling Sterling and Sane as the wide wingers, Aguero in the middle, um, De Bruyne and Silva would move up into kind of those half spaces, and Fernandinho patrolled. That was my kind of favorite to watch because it was like. Wow, they've really completed the four-three-three here. But yeah. the things that they can do with this team, like I was really kind of critical of Guardiola for the way that he spent all this money constructing this squad. But I do understand the way that it's been constructed now. You know, we questioned, you know, was Nathan Ake good enough to play for Man City? Turns out he is. Was Manuel Akanji, who wasn't even like a a key player for Borussia Dortmund, was he good enough to come and play for Man City? Turns out he is. Diaz started really well and last season kind of dipped a bit. Could he really keep his place inside? Turns out, yes. John Stones has really come into some form, playing that kind of almost the role that Philip Lahm played under Pep at Bayern Munich and that kind of yeah. right back going into midfield way. Rodri looks a lot more stable than he did maybe in the last couple of years. And I think the big one of the big things for me is there have been times where De Bruyne has looked really old um, over the last two seasons, but he's almost reversed that again. Yeah, I think it's um, where he's playing. I think he's kind of asked to do less um, mm. going the other way now, and it's more asked to be up there and support hand. And it's meant that having less to think about in a game has meant that he's been able to focus on what he's really, really great at, which is creating chances and scoring goals. That's yeah. his definable features. Um, so I asked that because I was looking at it, and I think in terms of um, in terms of my favorite Man City team to watch. Um, I loved mind when Tevez came back after his golfing trip, and in the uh, last two months, they just, yeah, yeah, yeah. When They're Tevez really and Aguero were playing up front together, and they were just lightning in a bottle for those two months, um, that was my favorite one to watch. In terms of the one that I've been most impressed by, I actually think that this current Man City team is the best one. Like the current Man City yeah. team, in the sense of the last like month or two, where mm. they've where Pep's worked out this new formation. And this you start in eleven, and has just played it basically every game. I think it's the most settled that I've seen a Man City team under Guardiola. Um, and in terms of the performances, um, they have like I think we talked about it last week. They have an ability now to beat teams in more than one way. Like they can play in, in two or three different ways and beat you. And maybe that's through strangling the life out of you by keeping hold of the ball the whole game. Maybe that's what they did um, against Bayern when they caught them on the break a few times and were able to rely on Hall. They stretch the defence and get them behind and score goals. They have that option as well. And it just feels like they have... This is the most ways in which I've seen a Man City team be able to beat teams. Mm. So for me, I think it's the best. But obviously, wait a month to see what they end up with at the end of the season. But I I think the smart money at the minute is on them winning the treble, or at least a double. I think um, they should beat United in the FA Cup final. 
I think they're pretty much nailed on, to be honest. They won the Premier League at this point. I think it's done. There's still, there's still part of me that's thinking, uh, there's still two points behind, you know? Like, Who's their games at hand against? The one's against Brighton, isn't it? Is it our Chelsea? Yeah, they got, they got Bright- so, yeah, their final week is home to Chelsea, away to Brighton, away to Brentford. So that's probably the hardest mm. it'll be. They've got Fulham this weekend. You imagine they'll do that. For me, I'm just a, I'm just a natural kind of warrior. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> concerned for wee Pep. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I I just I, I this is the most confident that I've been about a Man City team. I think I've never had this kind yeah. of assuredness where it's like, okay, nothing's going to go wrong. Whereas before, it felt like something could go wrong um, yeah. because of how much the team was changed and rotated at times and I didn't like how many midfielders were playing for a while and there was no vocal point in the team mm. and it's pretty dire to watch but you can see why um, Holland was signed, you can see why he was the perfect striker for this team there was a lot of talk I remember in the summer when it was pretty much between Holland and Kane to go to this mm. team I think it, when you look at it 12 months ago and you look at it with that um, mindset. A lot of people thought Kane was the better option for this team because he could drop in and mm. and ping the ball about and get involved with the midfield play and stuff. But I don't think they would be as good right now if they had Kane as opposed to what they are when they have Haaland. Because, like I said, Haaland can just do a wee bit more in the box than Kane is. Well, not not that he can do more, but he's more willing to do that side of the game. Whereas Kane naturally drops in and stuff, and I can see why. Signing Holland is able to give them as a different facet to the style of play that they can play and give them a wee bit more of an option in behind when they need it. And he can also drop in at times as well. It's a part of his game he's working on, but has shown signs that he can really become a really, really good player in that area of the pitch mm-hmm. too. So looking at it now, it makes all the sense the word that Holland's there. And it's kind of crazy that there were points in this season where people were like, oh, I don't think Holland should be starting. <laughs> he's actually like the best player in the world yeah, right now. Yeah. So he is, yeah. Yeah, um, I think just to just to wrap this up, City are this good that if they don't win the treble, I think it will be considered a failure. Hundred percent, hundred percent, definitely. It, yeah, everything's in their lap. They are better than the teams than all of the teams they've got left to play this season. Yep. So, hundred percent. Yeah, they should they win should. every game for the rest of the yes. season. They yeah, should, they and comfortably as well. And that's and that's including the Real Madrid games. They should mm. beat that Real Madrid team. Yeah, I think the, the big thing about the Real Madrid one is I didn't realize. The first leg is the Bernabeu, not the second. So you imagine that should help City and that they shouldn't fall apart in this kind of second leg collapse under the weight of the Bernabeu pressure. Yeah, and they also have the... I think just the experience of that game last season as well and knowing what not to do (laughs) this time round will make a big difference for Man City too Um, because last season was a disaster. I've never seen anything um, In every sense of the word, yeah. So this time round, they know how to avert the disaster and you know what the disaster is so yeah just don't do the same and you'll be fine basically yeah. yeah okay let's finish off with a couple of teams that we're keeping our eye on for next week's rankings um roma who i think have taken the kind of by leverkusen spot as always on the cusp and never quite in the top 10 yeah yeah i think i think they were uh perhaps a wee bit unlucky not to make it this week um but you know there's only 10 teams we're gonna affect 10 they Europe, lost to so. Atlanta on monday as well and that kind of killed they did. The yeah they did yeah um, but yeah, the, the the result in the Europa League was super impressive. Um, felt like a lot clicked in that game for them, and I can see why. I, I, I think we were chatting about it um, 
in the office one day, I can see why you would have Roma as the favourites for the Europa League because they have that kind of, I don't know, uh, they're, they're really, really uh, good. And, like the, the Marino teams that won games have this kind of aura around them um, in cup competitions. And it feels like Roma have that in the Europa League this season where, yeah, they, um, you know, they had... Um, they conceded they went the extra time against Feyenoord and stuff, but you never felt that even after Feyenoord scored in the final 10 minutes, they were going to actually win that game. It was always, it always felt like it was still Roma's game the whole mm. time. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how they do. Um, like you said, um, they're playing Milan at the weekend. Um, they have Inter in a couple of weeks' time as well, I think at the start of May. And I think that game's just before they play Leverkusen in the first leg over in Germany. Um, so it's going to be interesting um, to see how they get on those games. Um, I would fancy them against Leverkusen, and I would fancy them against uh, Juve or Sevilla. I think um, Juventus aren't in the greatest position <laughs> right now. I think there's there's a lot of toxicity around the club, and um, it, it just, they just don't, they've just not uh, found any momentum this season mm-hmm. at all, and they don't look capable of fighting it either. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. I, I do fancy them for Europa League, though, and I, I think like mm-hmm. come the end of the season, we'll do an end of the season rankings. And if yeah. they've won the Europa League, um, incredible achievement for them, and they'll definitely be in there. Mm. And then the other team, keep an eye on, gone under the radar. Marseille, seven unbeaten in league on. Probably not going to win the yeah. league, but put up a good fight. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, good for them. Just one of the fun clubs around Europe, aren't they? They just—they always have a few players who are just kind of like, yeah, he's good to watch. Might stick them on, see the crack. Yeah. Uh, still there. Uh, Alexis Sanchez done quite well this season as well. So mm-hmm. one, one day keep an eye on. One day even just stick on if there's no other games on as well. They see how they're yeah. getting on because they are quite fun. So they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the best stadiums in Europe too for definite. Right. So. Course, yeah. Um, back-to-back Champions League qualification for them, I think, would be massive as well. So mm-hmm. that'd be cool. Okay, I think I think we're done for this week then. That's us. That's us. Not as that's long us. this week, which is no. Good. I mean, yeah. The timing system's coming handy. Um, I know. Look at us. Look at us. And then keep um, it short. We, short. Yeah. Well, not short, but you know, <laughs> shorter. 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 Yeah, that, that'll do. Um, we'll be back on Tuesday for a special, the first player edition of the Power Rankings podcast. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I feel like that's gonna. Um, I think the words annoy people. I think it, <laughs> yeah, because we, we've we've ranked the players already, and. Um, we back them, but it's a, you know. it's a weird. It's a, yeah, you wouldn't. There's not like your usual names in there. It's been a yeah. weird month. Yeah, so. it's been a very strange month. Yeah, yeah so. so that'll Looking be fun. Yes, cool. Okay, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, if you haven't subscribed and left a rating on whatever podcast platform you use, please do. It really helps us a lot. And we will see you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.